Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 1, 29-39. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Well, um, I'm going to start at a little bit different place uh, than this passage happens. And I often do this kind of because I think, well, I think... One thing, uh, the New Testament is part two, right? It is the, the second part of the story of God's faithfulness to the creation that he has created. And, and so sometimes we, well, sometimes we forget part one and we get mixed up about it. And, and sometimes we just need to go back to it. And, and I do that often for you because, well, like something in my nature uh, in my personality and who I am wants to like know the backstory of everything and to share the context so much so that, that if you ask me like how something works or like why something is some way, like I'm going to spend an hour telling you all the stuff that you need to know beforehand before you can understand the question that you asked. And I'm sure that drives my wife and children crazy. I know it drives Lori crazy because she's just like, get to the point. Uh, uh, Nate's a little more gracious to me. Um, but So I, I, I'm, we're doing that. We're going to start today actually in Genesis 2. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say, though, we'll back up to the very beginning, though. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So, so God was, and, and he wanted a creation to, to love and to, to love him back. And so he creates uh, the world and the universe and everything in it. And he creates animals and fish and birds and all of those things. And finally, he gets back and he, he creates humans. He creates Adam and Eve, and they're, they're in the garden, and everything is good and right and wonderful. And he, he gets, we get to chapter two, or chapter two, the very end of the story. And he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Uh, the, the work that he had done and he had finished and he, he ended up saying at the very end, like he stepped back from it and said, this is 
good. This is very, very good. Uh, now, uh, we often talk about like the six days of creation, and the seventh day is just a little bit different, right? Um, and we call that the Sabbath. Uh, for Christians, we, we make that day Sunday. For anyone who's Jewish, that's Saturday. Uh, it doesn't really matter when you Sabbath, I don't think. I Sabbath on Thursday because I work on Sunday. Uh, and so it, it just really doesn't matter. Uh, but I think we often think that, that, that Sabbath is this own thing set apart and it's different and it's not necessarily part of creation. And I uh, actually had a conversation with, with someone about that this week. That I, I think that, that the Sabbath is, well, it is part of creation. It is part of those days that God steps back and he creates things. And I think that rest, that rest is a part of Sabbath. Well, Sabbath is part of rest, right? But it's part of creation. And that in when God rests from all of his creative work, that doesn't mean that, that God has stepped back from all that is, like you might do once you've crafted uh, something, a fine piece of furniture or an automobile or an ice cream sundae, right? Like, he doesn't just, st- or wings, right? Um, it's Super Bowl, so that. He doesn't just step back from that and say, ah, it is very good, and then like hands off for the rest of time. But in this, in this Sabbath rest, God is still kind of there, watching over creation, holding it together. Uh, Paul will say in the book of Colossians that, that Jesus was there at the, at the very beginning when, when things were spoken into existence and, and that, that Jesus now holds all of the things of this world, all of the universe uh, together and holds it together so it doesn't fall apart into nothingness and chaos. Because uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, our world is rather chaotic. And there are a number of movies that document the way in which People, if all of society goes away, just turns into chaos, right? Like Mad Max, okay? My favorite genre of movies, right? Like post-apocalyptic movies. Uh, so God, God is there holding everything together. And the seventh day is a part of that, part of creation. Now, for the, for the Jewish people, we, we know what happens after this part of the story. So Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and uh, Eve eats from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they don't die, but they, they begin to know right from wrong, and, and the world begins to break. And Adam eats of it too, and, and they're broken. And part of this brokenness is this brokenness of relationship between Adam and Eve and, and God. And I, I think it doesn't take much to see that, that brokenness always kind of results in a, uh, well, a chain of brokenness. Uh, one person is, is, is broken and hurt and, Oh, they, just, they end up doing that to someone else and it just goes on and on and it compounds and it compounds. And sure enough, all of the world is just, it's just a mess. And so the Jewish people understood Sabbath, the, the Sabbath to be well a time that foretold, that was kind of a foreshadowing of God sending his Messiah to make everything right and whole and peaceful again. Uh, the, the whole Jewish idea of shalom, which is peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it is, it is wholeness. It is uh, things not being torn apart by chaos, but, but being held together by the, the watchful and creative, continually creative hands of God. And so they, they longed 
for things to be made right. Certainly, when they're in Egypt in slavery, they longed for Sabbath, when God would rescue them from their slavery and make them whole. Uh, certainly, when they were in, uh, in the promised land, uh, and there were times where they were good and times when they were bad, and, and when they were bad, they, you know, these other tribes from outside of Israel would come and take over them. I'm sure they longed for God's Sabbath to come and make things right and whole. When they end up being so unfaithful that God allows them to be taken away into exile and they go off to Babylon and they are in a land that's not their own, I am sure that they long for God's Sabbath to come to make everything whole and peaceful and right again. And by the time Jesus comes around, the Romans are in charge and things are not good. And uh, I'm sure that they hoped and they longed that God would send this Messiah to make things whole and peaceful and right again. And so Sabbath is this whole thing. They are wrapped up in hope, hope that things will be right and right again. Well, it's no, it's no, it's no wonder that Jesus kind of pops on the scene here in Mark. And we're still really early in this passage, right, in this whole book. Uh, uh, the story of Jesus' life, we're in verse 29, and so we're not that far, but Mark's narrative moves really, really fast. It's the, the shortest of them, of the four Gospels. And so we, we, the scene opens on Jesus and his disciples. They're in a town called Capernaum, a, a decent town, and it's where Simon's, Peter's mother-in-law is from. And maybe Simon's probably from there too, I don't know. Uh, and they had been in the synagogue, so the, the Jewish place of worship, when they couldn't go to the temple, they would go to the synagogue and they would read the scriptures and they would pray. And Jesus was fond of going to those places and, well, proclaiming the good news that had come in him as the Messiah, the one who would bring this Sabbath rest and recreation that Israel had been longing for for so long. Well, he'd been preaching, and uh, well, sometimes it wasn't well, it wasn't received very well. In fact, uh, all of his preaching and his action will end up being what gets him killed uh, at the very end of this story. But uh, they get done with the the Sabbath. It's towards the end of the Sabbath, and they are done with the synagogue, and they they go to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And uh, we're told in the story that like Simon Peter's mother-in-law that's a that's a mouthful to say. Uh, is sick and she's got a fever. Now, uh, fevers were fevers were were bad things. They weren't just like they are for us a symptom that something's wrong. You know, like take some Tylenol, curl up in bed, watch Netflix, you'll be better, right? A, a fever for for people in Jesus' day was often life threatening because uh, they didn't know what was going on and and they didn't have medicine to fix it, and so things very easily got out of hand and people died. So they, they go to this house, and I don't know if Peter knows that his mother-in-law is sick before they get there. Maybe he does. But they go in, and Peter's like, by the way, my mom's-in-law is sick. She's got a fever, and just so you know. Now, a couple of things else we have to know about fevers, and, and maybe our experience over the last year with COVID has, has shed some more light on this particular this story. Uh, because for the Jewish people, like you, you didn't want to go in for fear of catching whatever fever it might be. 
maybe that was a secondary concern, actually. They, they might not have wanted to go into the house because if they did, that woman, she was unclean because of her sickness, and you then would be unclean, and you couldn't then participate in the normal life of the community until you were pronounced clean again. So you just wanted to, you wanted to stay away. Uh, have, throughout this whole thing, have you ever delivered anything to anybody's house? Like a food or a treat? Like we've done that, like, I've, I've done it myself, you know, I go walk up to the, drop the food down, ring the doorbell and then run away. <laughs> like, I'm clean! I don't want to catch your disease. Uh, I, I think we understand, I think we understand what, what Simon Peter is, is talking about here. Well, he mentions this, and, and maybe he mentions this to Jesus because he knows Jesus could do something about it. Maybe he mentions it just to, you know, as a heads up, beware. Uh, maybe he mentions of it because part of the, the duty of someone like Peter's mother-in-law would be to be hospitable, to offer hospitality, to give them cool drink and food to eat, and to, to have their feet washed and to give them rest and relaxation. So maybe Peter's just being like, hey, yo, this is not going to be like you think it's going to be because mom is sick and you might get it too, but we're going to have to make our own sandwiches. And so who, who knows? That's what he does. But Jesus walks in. He walks into the room, and without being asked, without being told, he reaches down and he touches Peter's mother-in-law, and she's healed. Instantly. Instantly. And she gets up. And what does she do? She immediately begins to go about serving Jesus and Peter and his followers. Now, I, I think we should understand a couple of things here, too. She doesn't ask. Peter doesn't ask for healing. Jesus' presence alone comes into the situation and without any kind of magic word or anything like that, he, he heals her totally on his own. She doesn't ask for it. I think maybe there's something there for, for God working in our lives. Uh, certainly we want God to kind of reach down and touch us and heal us from whatever is wrong with us, spiritually, mentally, physically. Uh, the second thing is that the word that Mark uses for serve for Peter's mother-in-law is actually the word from which we get deacon. Uh, and it, it, church history has used this word to mean like Christian service. This is not just like service that we're going to go out and pick up trash alongside of the road, but this is, oh, not that that's not Christian service, by the way. But this is a very specific kind of image that he's painting here for this, this woman who has immediately been healed. Her job now, her immediate response and reaction is to serve in a very, very specific kind of way. And I don't know if she understood what she was doing. But Mark seems to know. Mark wants us to see that when, when Jesus' presence come and offers healing, that our, our immediate response should be service. Well, they go about their day, and uh, everybody hears what happened. It, it's remarkable how fast words spread in the first century Israel without social media. No phones, 
No telegrams, no radio, nothing. But people knew. And everybody in the area comes flooding to Peter's house. Uh, Sabbath is over. The sun has gone down for Jewish time. uh, the, The day starts at sundown and ends at sundown the next day, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so they, they could come a long distance. You were restricted on how far you could walk and things like that for, for Jews without breaking Sabbath. And so Sabbath was over and they brought all their, their sick and their wounded and their demon-possessed to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And Jesus spends a good portion of the night healing people. Boom, 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 boom. We don't know how long he was there. We don't know how late he was up. I imagine at some point, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is like, I had a fever like 12 hours ago, you all go home, I'm tired. Uh, and kicks all everybody out, and, and Jesus and his disciples get to have some rest. Uh, no sooner, though, that, that, that Jesus goes to bed, we're told that he gets up early in the morning. And he goes out, and he finds a secluded place, and he begins to pray. By the way, you don't have to get up early to pray. Like, uh, I'm kind of a guilty person. That's just my complex. And so like people would preach on things like this and be like, oh, I have to get up early. That's the only time I can pray. And that's really not the truth. That's just what Jesus does. Now, I'm not saying it's not good. But if you want to pray in the afternoon or while you're at work, do that. But Jesus goes off and, and he spends some time and I think he's getting some rest. I think he's communicating about with the Father about what's going to happen next, where they're going to go, what he's supposed to do. Well, Peter and his other followers, they eventually wake up. They're not so motivated as Jesus is. They're also not God, um, right? Because Jesus is fully human, fully God. So they get up and, and they're wondering, like all these people who were there the other night, they have spread word and more and more people have come to Peter's mother-in-law's house and they want to be healed too. They want their ailments well taken care of. And Peter's like, hey, like, last night was good. Things went well. Uh, let's do it again today. Lots and lots of people. Maybe this becomes our new base of operations. Uh, maybe we can add on to the mother-in-law's house. Um, it gets so big, then we'll move to Jerusalem, the capital city, and we'll, it'll just be huge. And because you're the Messiah, we don't, they don't know that yet, just maybe... And you're going to take over Israel and kick the Romans out, and it's going to be really good. We are having some huge success here. Ah, success. We love it. And Jesus' response, like, no. Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I might proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. It's stunning that instead of setting up camp, Jesus well, he, he breaks camp and he goes. And, and what you need to know about the towns around Capernaum is that they were not bigger. They were smaller. And so Jesus takes his message, takes his healing, takes, his, takes the salvation of God into the surrounding areas, the surrounding towns. I, I, I'm fascinated by this passage a little bit. And, and I've... Like I've I wrote this down, you know, what I say, like I, like I do, and then this week I, like, played Rubik's Cube with it and turned all the sections, and 
but, but I think it's important for us to take the first little section, first little scene with, with Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law and the third scene with him saying, no, let us go to neighboring towns and kind of put them in comparison. Uh, maybe not Jesus' actions, but compare the disciples' actions with Peter's mother-in-law's actions. That, that she goes and immediately serves. Meanwhile, now I'm reading into the story a little bit. That's my job, I guess. Meanwhile, Peter and the other followers are thinking, yes, let's serve some people and heal them, but let's, uh, let's get famous too. Maybe there's some profit to be made by this. Maybe I don't have to fish anymore. Uh, and maybe not. Maybe they're not thinking it. Maybe they're just solely concerned with, with Jesus maybe being the Messiah and fulfilling their Sabbath hopes and dreams for rest and recreation, for peace and for wholeness and for making everything that is wrong with the world good again. Well, I think there are a couple of questions maybe that we need to ask ourselves when we look at this passage. And they kind of flow from each other, I hope, uh, but I think they're ones that we need, we need to ponder for us as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, but also as a, as a church that is always de- seeking to discern what it is that God is calling us to do. Question number one. What was or is our response to when Jesus heals us? Now, uh, healing isn't just physical. I think any malady that we might have, any addiction, any, I don't know, just whatever, mental illness, depression, things like that, any of those things are our are, are, are sickness, our are, are brokenness, and even, even our sin is our sickness. And so we come to Jesus. Jesus comes to us, and, and out of his own initiative, he begins to heal us of those things and make us whole. And what has our response been to when Jesus has healed us? Uh, did we go about our way and just journey on like normal? Are we thankful? Do we come back like the one leper in the story of the ten lepers who gets healed and only one comes back and is like, hey, thanks for healing me? Or do we get up like Peter's mother-in-law and serve? Uh, do we look around and say, I have been healed by this, by this God. I am different and whole, more whole. You're not going to be totally whole until Jesus comes back but I'm more whole than I used to be, how is, it that I can, how is it that I can help others be whole as well? How does God want to use me in his service? Our healing, our healing is Jesus' initiative, and our response should always be to get up and to serve, to participate in the Messiah's bringing of Sabbath rest of recreation, creation for for all that is. Question two, when we do serve, who are we doing it for? 
uh, are we doing it for ourselves? Are we like maybe like Peter and we're like, hey, this is going to be awesome. We're going to be famous. They're going to put our head on a coin. Do we do it for personal gain? Do we do it so our church can be bigger? I worked for a pastor who, uh, that was his sole motivation for anything we did service-wise. Like, let's feed the poor and tell everybody about it so we can be a household name within 15 minutes drive of everything. I think service is good. It can be good for our church. It can be good publicity, but that can never, ever be the reason why we serve as a church. We serve not for our own good or our own popularity, but because this is what we have been healed to do. Let us go into the neighboring towns so that we might proclaim the message there also, in word and in deed, for that is what we have been called to do. I guess this last one maybe is a little bit redundant, but what does success look like for us? The success of our healing, does it look like we are a a bigger church? Don't get me wrong. I want our church to thrive. Because I think the more people we have, the more good we can do in our community, the more that God can work through us. But does success then ultimately look like participating in God's Sabbath rest for the world? Does it look like helping people be whole? Does it help, does it create chaos or does it help stem the tide of chaos that is around us? I think success for the church, for us as individuals too, is always always about participating in God's Sabbath rest. That we might be we might be committed to helping people have peace and wholeness. Because I don't know if you know this, but I think that, that everybody outside of this room, everybody who who doesn't know Jesus, I think they want the exact same thing for the world that we want. They don't want it to be broken. They don't want to experience suffering and pain. They want to be whole. They want the world to be whole. We've been healed of whatever it is that we have been sick of. It's a good thing, and and our right and good response always should be to get up and to serve. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, we confess that we often aren't very good at serving. Uh, Either we are lazy or just we we don't understand what you've done for us or what you want to do for us. Or we've gotten the crazy idea that, I don't know, that it's just for us and for nobody else and we want to take advantage of what we've got from you. So we can assess our, our sinfulness in that way of not immediately, not immediately getting up from when you have healed us uh, 
to serve the world, to bring about your Sabbath rest, to help bring about your Sabbath rest. As we think about those three questions, help us to, help us to, if we haven't been healed, if we haven't begun this relationship with you, help us to, well, to do that, to, to say, I need, I am not whole. I am broken. The chaos of the world around me is great, and I need healing. And we know that even though we're asking, you're already there willing to reach down and grab our hand and to pull us up and to begin to heal us. Uh, But for those of us who have been healed and, and following you for a long time, help us to dig deep into those questions to look around and and to say, I want to be like Peter's mother-in-law. How can I serve? Help us to do that as individuals. Help us to do that as a church so that the world may know through us of your Sabbath rest and recreation, of the peace and the wholeness that you are bringing to this world even now. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.